0: From the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know, this is a Guy's Take episode. What is up, crew? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I think I've got a really fun episode today. I've been working really hard over the weekend, actually, I really started on Friday, um, trying to get together a bunch of different things that I've been kind of dabbling in or talking about doing or, or thinking about doing, really, for a very long time. And I have finally done it. I actually had a conversation with... This kind of sparked, uh, okay, it's time to get this done with a tweet that I had sometime last week. And it was about... uh all the bitcoin holidays that i celebrate and a couple of people commented and sent me messages and uh, i got a discord channel open with uh brady from the citizen bitcoin and also uh ansel Linder, and we chat a lot um just kind of ongoing about a couple of projects and things that we've been working on and ansel was like man i'd love to post that um list on my website and i thought like Why haven't I done that yet? Why have I been sitting on this for so long? Because I did a lot of work collecting a bunch of dates and confirmations and links and all kinds of stuff for major events in Bitcoin's history. So I thought it was time to put it out there and, you know, let other people enjoy it. Uh, Let Ansel put it on his website, Um, which, by the way, uh, Brady is the Citizen Bitcoin podcast. Um, If you don't know... He's been doing a lot of really good interviews uh, more recently. Like a couple of the recent episodes are really good. He and Tommy uh, do that show. And uh, then Ansel Linder has the Bitcoin and Markets podcast. Um, and he's got a lot of great stuff up there. Uh, we kind of have like our own little uh, niches in what we cover uh, on our shows. So we kind of we joke about how like, they kind of they hit each individual corners of what's going on in Bitcoin. Uh, So those are two good ones that I think pair well uh, with uh, my podcast. So if you don't listen to Bitcoin Markets and Citizen Bitcoin, I think they do a good, like, little branching out into other areas that I don't really cover and vice versa. So uh, definitely check those guys out. Um, But today I'm officially announcing I finally got it on my website, Um, uh, sorted out a bunch of dates that I was having hard trouble finding Um, Got a bunch of links together and I've put together a ton of information on uh, what I am dubbing the crypto economy holiday calendar for all the best Bitcoin holidays out there. These are major events that um, many of which I have I was there for, which is why they were significant events to me and why I kind of tip my hat to them every year or, you know, take a shot in celebration and uh honestly a lot of these a lot of these holidays are actually really important to me like i i i really kind of you know get a little uh like nostalgic about some of these things that happened like they were epic epic events in bitcoin's history and i actually recorded pretty much this whole episode yesterday but i realized i was I was kind of running into some trouble and it seemed really disjointed and i couldn't quite piece together what was going on and realized that I was essentially just going through in the order of these are all the ones in January, these are all the ones in February, et cetera, et cetera. And because of that, like, I was covering uh, later events. You know, I was hitting this thing happened in 2009, this happened in 2017, then this happened in 2011. So it wasn't really a story. It was just kind of, it was really disjointed. So I figured, you know, I'm just going to start from scratch. I'm going to do this whole thing over, and we're going to go through all we're gonna just do a walk through of major like a walk through Bitcoin history, like what's happened, like what what are the days that I think are really meaningful in this? And honestly, if you guys have anything uh, uh, to add, like any days that you know are really important to you or that you think were just really cool in this whole sequence of history, um, drop me a line. Uh, either hit me up at the Crypto economy at PM dot me or protonmail.com uh pm.me is just like a little shortcut that they allow to allow you to use and uh or just drop me a direct message on twitter i got my i got my dms open so um you can hit me up uh up there and yeah so we're gonna go through all of this oh oh and also uh another major piece of the puzzle that i've been working on here is that you can now buy it with lightning so i've collected all of this information the links details and little mini stories of all, the, all these Bitcoin holidays. Um, and I'm also selling it for Lightning. I'm using OpenNode, um, which was a really, really easy setup process. I just tweeted about it earlier. And uh, 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 I, built a, I just you know, built a basic calendar. It took me quite a long time. Um, I mean, it, all this information is on the website, so you can just copy and paste it and do it yourself if you don't want to you know, pay uh, $2.00 or a $1.99 to get the actual holiday calendar. But if you want to skip the step and download it um, and just, you know, double-click and import it into your Google or uh, Mac calendar, whatever it is, uh, Outlook, uh, you can just go up on the website and pay with Bitcoin or Lightning. And the open node setup was really, really easy. I was really happy with that. There's some complications with WooCommerce that are a little annoying. Like right now, it's still, I can't get it to stop requiring billing information like i've been talking to the lightning hood guys because they seem to have found a way around it but that but uh they can't seem to figure out how they did it (laughs) um so i'm going to try to get rid of that but please do not give me your billing information i do not want your home address i'm not shipping you anything i mean if eventually i'm going to be selling things that i probably will be shipping but in the meantime i do not want that information just put in nonsense for that. But I would recommend putting in your email because I want to have a record of people who – some way to confirm people who have already ordered it in case uh, – I imagine there will be updates to this list. Um, like I already have a couple of days that I know are going to be big deals when they happen. Uh, so I want to be able to make it so that if someone does buy this calendar, they can come back and prove that they had the same email and download the new, uh, the new holidays or a fresh uh, calendar. Let's say they lose it, you know, something like that. Um, I, don't have to, I don't want people to have to buy it like a bunch of times just because they either lost it or because I added some holidays. Um, so uh, just make sure your email is correct, and then everything else should be fine. You don't have to give me your name, billing address, whatever. And that's, of course, if you just want to download this and have it so that it notifies you the day before and you can celebrate all these crypto economy holidays with me, because that's how I do it. All right, so let's do a walk through Bitcoin history. And now, and now I'm going to start these holidays uh, this time in order, in chronological order. Um, so we're actually starting uh, the first holiday that I celebrate or that I think is really meaningful is November 1st, 1976. And I actually could not find the specific day in November, but it's It was a publication that releases towards the beginning of the month, so I just went with November 1st, um, and it was in 1976, so finding a source for that is not exactly the easiest thing. But this is what I refer to as Diffie-Hellman Day. Uh, On November 1st, 1976, Whitfield, Diffie, and Martin E. Hellman. Some of you may know this, but this was the release of their proposal For it literally revolutionized uh, cryptographic communication. Um, It was a it was a paper titled "New Directions in Cryptography," um, and it was really the first practical protocol for exchanging keys over a public channel. This was the this was essentially the birth of the public private key. Uh, public private key exchange i mean it's, it was referred to at the time as diffie Hellman key exchange I mean I guess it's still referred to that, but this was the public private key model before you had to have some sort of private channel where you exchanged the private key uh, or you know the quote unquote password that um, you would encrypt or attempt to like encrypt a message with and be- because of that you couldn't do it over a public channel you couldn't safely Um, communicate. You had to find some other private way, like you know, put it in the mail or something, to to figure out how to do the key that allows you to encrypt the message and have a private communication. And this was the birth of. It was actually conceptualized by Ralph Merkle, um, uh, sometime before that. But there was no there was no implementation of it. There was no there was no real, um, detail on how to fully accomplish this uh, means. And that was the amazing contribution from uh, Diffie, or Whitfield Diffie and Martin E. Hellman. So uh, I kind of was trying to figure out well, what's the best way to kind of celebrate this, like and honor this um, outside of drinking. Uh, drink, <laughs> drinking is always a great way to celebrate. And uh, because this is at the core of everything that Bitcoin is um, like public, the public private key, like. This was a breakthrough that truly, truly revolutionized um, uh, cryptography. Like, like cryptographic communication just took a turn for like privacy was going to be a thing in the digital world. Um, and without it, nothing, none of this is even remotely possible. Uh, so I've linked to the actual publication. Um, and this, is all, this all can be found at cryptoeconomy.life slash calendar, by the way. And I've changed my main menu. So if you'll just see it at the top, it says Bitcoin holidays. Uh, so you can go, you can expand each one of these holidays and find more detail out on them. Uh, and all the links that I've associated with it. Um, but I think in honor of this on November 1st, I'm going to publicly post my public key, uh, for, you know, whatever, just, a just, a, uh, my GPG key probably. And, uh, uh, so I'm going to post my public key somewhere knowing like what power that enables. That someone can send me private communications even though I have publicly like just broadcast to the world my public key and it does not, there is no risk whatsoever in uncovering my private key from it. It does not, um, it does not expose me to any risk by doing that and that's a, that's a brilliant thing. That's that's an amazing, amazingly powerful thing to have that, um, th- that level of control. Um, so a toast to Diffie and uh, Whitfield Diffie and Martin Hellman on that day, November first, is Diffie Hellman Day. All right. Then then we skip all the way. There's probably a couple other good cryptography ones to do in between here and there, um. But we're jumping for now all the way to October 31st, 2008, the Bitcoin White Paper Day. A lot of people mistake this as Bitcoin's birthday. Um, this is not Bitcoin's birthday. This is Bitcoin's conceptual day. This is the, bit, the day that uh, it was October 31st, 2008, and Satoshi Nakamoto released the Bitcoin White Paper on the cryptography mailing list. And this was the moment that the concept of Bitcoin was publicly revealed to the world. Um, and I've got a link to the PDF so you can read the white paper if you haven't. Um, but this was, this, was, this was Bitcoin's introduction to the world. This was the first time that people looked at it and um, read about you know the beginnings of how the system, there's a lot of technical specifications that are not in the white paper. You know, 21 million limit. Not in the white paper. Um, there's just there's a bunch of stuff. The white paper is just kind of an over uh, an overall idea of how he thought about Bitcoin at the time. And uh but obviously, obviously that was a major day with Bitgold and uh Digicash, Hashcash, all these precursors that came before it, um, and all the major breakthroughs all the way through the 90s and stuff that made this possible. Bitcoin the release of Bitcoin was when when the game changed, when finally all the little all the leaks in that circle of secure decentralized communication in like transactions were were plugged. They were finally finally all those major issues were sorted out and development could start on a network that was live, a proof of concept for this. Um, And thus the rest was history. But it was just a little bit later, just a couple of months later, January 3rd, 2009, Bitcoin's birthday. This is Genesis Day. And the Genesis block was mined on January 3rd, 2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto. And that is Bitcoin's official birthday. Um, So that's one thing, again, people will call October 31st, Bitcoin's uh, birthday. It is not. It is not. This is this is a point with me. This it, that's Bitcoin's conception day. Bitcoin's birthday is the genesis block. That is when the blockchain was created and went live. So, and it's also Proof of Keys day, which just started last year. But this is a really cool. It's a really cool way to celebrate Bitcoin's birthday, in my opinion. Um, I was really happy with this. Uh, I thought it was a neat idea. But Trace Mayer, a a seriously like true Bitcoin OG guy has been in Bitcoin and talking about how amazing it's going to be and how it's going to change the world since it was like a nickel. So um, he, on, uh, to mark uh, January 3rd uh, last year, this started, so 2018, he dubbed it Proof of Keys Day, and it actually was kind of a big deal. Um, uh, it uh, trended pretty good on Twitter. Um, and I've got a link to hashtag Proof of Keys Day. On uh, so you can kind of explore all the proof-of-keys posts and conversation on Twitter. But uh, it's basically an effort to end the fraudulent practice of fractional reserve Um, because, you know, like insolvent exchanges are not – you don't really know until basically you force them to put their Bitcoin where their mouth is. They can say, yeah, we've got – you've got this much in your account And, you know, we're, quote unquote, holding it behind the scenes just in case you ever want to withdraw. But it's not until they get a lot of pressure from users to actually withdraw back to the fully audited, uh, trustless Bitcoin blockchain that you can actually know for certain uh, that that's true. That they have that Bitcoin that they are promising you. Um, So it's an annual proof of keys is an annual community driven bank run, basically. Um, It's like let's let's push this to the history books let's make uh, uh, dishonest exchanges um, uh, let's force them let's force them to you know prove like you know do you have the keys give them to me they're my keys now proof of my keys i own my bitcoin and so i thought that was a uh, i thought that's a really cool holiday and i hope you guys celebrate it with me last year unfortunately i only had like $50 worth of something. It was like change on some exchange, but I did withdraw it. I did withdraw it on proof of keys day. I wanted to participate. I, I literally almost, I didn't remember that I actually had that in the account um, because it was something I had already quote unquote withdrawn uh, in the past. Um, and that was just kind of what was left over. And so I almost, I literally almost deposited into an exchange just so I could withdraw on proof of keys day. Luckily I found that though. <laughs> don't want to don't want to leave those Satoshi's in somebody else's on somebody else's keys, man. That's not cool. Um but uh I've also got the link to the genesis block. And you know, that's another representation or display, I guess you could say, Bitcoin's incredible power that you can go back and you can just look at the genesis block. You can see it. You can see that the, you know, hex value like I've got a little um, I like to uh, bring up my. Uh, I got a little screenshot of the, the, the block itself. And you know how you can see the chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks um, that was timestamped from the uh, uh, news. And it's just, I don't know. Bitcoin's birthday is just a major day. I love the proof of keys celebration, the bank run, community run bank run. It's just such a cool part of Bitcoin culture. So that's always a great one to celebrate. January 3rd. All right. Now we've got January 11th. So this was just shortly after Bitcoin went live. It's 2009 again. And this was uh, Genesis Transaction Day. How Finney receives the very first Bitcoin transaction that is ever posted to the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. And uh, 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 the coins... There's a couple of interesting things that I found out about this um, when, uh, when I was kind of exploring it. I mean, I've got that again, the blockstream.info link, so you can actually just go see the transaction, and you can just look. All the, all the blocks before it, zero transactions, and this is the one that's got the first one. Um, fully auditable. Hal Finney received the first Bitcoin transaction, 10 Bitcoins sent by Satoshi, and uh, 40 remainder from the uh, Coinbase transaction that it was spent from, sent back to Satoshi. So the interesting little tidbit though is the coins that he sent were actually in the Coinbase, they were actually mined in the ninth block. So it was Bitcoin block 9 that mined the coins that were sent to Finney. And, uh, uh, and they, the transaction is in block 170. So, so it's like, why, why is it not the first block? Well, actually it'd be why is it not the second block because the first block cannot be uh the very first block cannot be spent from but so it's like why is it not the second bitcoin block like i mean those were quote unquote the first spendable bitcoin why did it go from block nine so i was like that was i thought that was interesting so i did a little digging and it turns out that if you put in uh like numerical order all the blocks that were spendable at that time so there's a there's a, a piece, uh, there's an element of Bitcoin that after you mine Bitcoin in, in a new block, it has to have 100 confirmations before you can spend it. It has to mature for 100 blocks before you can actually send from that address. So at block 170, you can actually only spend from the first 69 blocks. And this was grabbed from block nine. So it's like, did Satoshi do that on purpose? Like, what, what made that one be the one that sent from? And turns out if you take all the hashes of those first 69 blocks and line them up in numerical order, Bitcoin block 9 has the lowest value hash. So it's just at the top of the list. And I guess that, I don't really know how the client picks it, So, but that's the thing that makes sense is that, well, if it's the, the first number in you know, numerical order, that's the one that's grabbed. So I thought that was, I thought that was a kind of interesting little tidbit on just how the client worked at the time and how things were picked. Like it was just, this is just the first one in the row. And uh, so it was sent from block nine and the transaction confirmed in block 170. All right. And next up we have Bitcoin Pizza Day. So this is all, this is a whole year and a couple of months after that. This was May 22nd, uh, 2010 is Bitcoin Pizza Day. Um, I'm sure anybody who has been here long enough has celebrated Bitcoin Pizza Day. But this is Laszlo uh, Hanyeks. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. I've never been able to pronounce his name. But he was a, a developer who made the first real-world purchase in Bitcoin. Up until then, Bitcoin did not really have a price. Like for, so for over a year, uh, Bitcoin was just free points that people were sending back and forth, playing with this network. Um, and there was no real uh, measurable... Cost in it, like you could just you could just get hundreds, thousands of bitcoins in these just public faucets that would just spit them out to people, so that people could you know experiment and play around with the network. And Laszlo, uh, for the first time, this is on the Bitcoin Talk forums, and uh, I've got a link to. Um, it's not the. This is actually the link to the images, not the Bitcoin Talk forums. I'll I'll add the uh, BitcoinTalk.org actual link so you can see the conversation of him like, who wants to buy me pizzas with Bitcoin? And he sent 10,000 Bitcoins, uh, which if you don't know Wes, what is, the price is like, let's call it five grand today. That puts the uh, a price of that at, what, $50 million? 10,000 Bitcoins? That sounds about right. For two supreme pizzas. <laughs> and this was the first real world Uh, market price for Bitcoins, 10,000 Bitcoins for two Supreme Pizzas. Uh, And this was, again, May twenty second two 2010. I actually tried to, there's not, like, exact, like, what is on a Supreme Pizza, um, but you can actually look at the picture. He's got pictures of it, like, with his kid, and, like, the two pizzas out on the table, and you can actually see the two pizzas bought with the first ever real-world Bitcoin transaction. And uh, I listed out the toppings. So if you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna see the toppings on uh, uh, on the uh, website, go to cryptoeconomy.life/calendar, or just click on Bitcoin Holidays up at the top. Easiest way to celebrate: buy a pizza with Bitcoin today. There's a bunch of different ways to do that. Um, there's like a Domino's uh, a website, um, and then now they've got LN Pizza, LN dot Pizza, I think it is, um, which we'll get to that one in a minute. So. Uh, buy, uh, buy a pizza on Bitcoin Pizza Day, May 22nd, to celebrate the first ever real-world transaction uh, exchanging Bitcoin for uh, real real food. <laughs> uh, you can also get the transaction details. I've posted the hash, uh, and it was in block 57,044. So you can just punch that number in on blockstream.info and look for yourself, see 10,000 Bitcoins exchanged for uh Two pizzas. And next in line, we have got uh, all the way to 2011. This is back to January. January 27th, 2011, after prices became a thing and the market started to build out, the Silk Road officially launched. 2011, uh, end of January. Silk Road, the Silk Road was a major, major deal. Um, in Bitcoin. It was essentially the proof of concept of Bitcoin's independence and like censorship resistance. Um, and it was, it was really about uh, a lot of people talked about it as if it was anonymous um, at the time. And really because the addresses are pseudonymous uh, it was at that time essentially because there weren't really, there wasn't really AMC, K, or KYC, AML stuff going on in the on ramps. Uh, uh, in fact, there weren't really much at all for on-ramps and off-ramps into Bitcoin. And, uh, but this was the proof of concept. This, was, this showed how powerful Bitcoin really was, that you, know, you weren't asking a bank for permission to transact. Like, you were just transacting with people anywhere in the world. And, uh, and it allowed the, quote-unquote, eBay of illicit goods to... Be powered, and uh, there's a fascinating. uh, It was a thesis, somebody's thesis, like a a couple of students did a thesis together or something. I can't, I can't remember exactly how. I think it was MIT. I think it was MIT. It was, it was a major college. I remember um, uh, uh, reading it originally and being fascinated by it. I probably have a copy of it somewhere on my computer, but who knows? I have terabytes and terabytes of stored crap that. Might as well just be out there on the internet because I don't know how to find it on my computer. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, they actually talked about, they did a study on the darknet markets and how basically the reason the darknet markets survived was because of awesome customer service. Um, because uh, because the, the market was built on mutual escrow uh, and uh, had, you know, ratings built in and everything. It was literally like eBay, except you were going up and basically buying weed. Um, And uh, that was, I think their assessment was like, you know, everybody talks about it. It's like, oh, you can buy cocaine and black tar heroin and guns and all this crap. And I think there was actually a vendor for a, it, literally one vendor that sold guns up there for a short period of time. But, uh, like eighty or ninety percent of the Silk Road was weed, um, and uh, the the market for the other stuff just is not that big. Um, and it was just it was just such a fascinating. It was a really crazy time in Bitcoin. I remember it was Silk Road was one of the things I heard about pretty early on. Uh, I don't think was I there when Silk Road actually launched or did I hear about it? I can't remember when in this whole period that i i came in to this and started seeing bitcoin and exploring it and was just utterly fascinated but the silk road ross albrecht um who went by uh dread pirate roberts um which if you've seen (laughs) you know what that is if you uh if you love the princess bride as much as i do um i think everybody pretty much knows that movie um but uh he went by the pseudonym uh Dread, Dread Pirate Roberts. And uh, wait, I've lost my spot here. I accidentally scrolled. Where's Silk Road? What are we in? May? Gotta run around, find my stuff. Oh no, January. What am I doing? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> um, yeah, so Ross Ulbricht started this as kind of a libertarian experiment. And it was just, it was the first big market for Bitcoin, literally. Um, uh, they started, that marketplace grew to millions and millions of dollars worth of value exchanged in very short order in a time when you couldn't do much with Bitcoin. And this was basically the proof that, like, this is a powerful thing. Like, this is not to be ignored. Um, and uh, I think the best way to celebrate January 27th is to remember Remember Ross Ulbricht's place in this incredible, incredible history of Bitcoin. Like what he built, regardless of your opinion on, you know, whether or not somebody should have the freedom to smoke weed or, you know, do drugs, whatever they should put in their body. Ross Ulbricht was a pioneer in Bitcoin, like, and in truth, like a serious cypherpunk that he built this marketplace out, like... This was a this was a major major shift in Bitcoin's Bitcoin being just silly points on the internet to Bitcoin being something that broke the rules. If you know the if you listen to the BitTorrent series, if you're not breaking the rules, you're doing it wrong. Um, the lessons from BitTorrent series that we recently did on the show uh, this is a perfect example of Bitcoin broke the rules early. Um, so I think this would be this is a good day to share Ross's story, um, because the the disgusting injustice of him getting two life sentences for a website where people basically just voluntarily exchange Bitcoin for weed is insane. Um, uh, not only did he not do anything with the drugs, he put up a website for other people to buy and exchange goods. It's literally like putting somebody in prison for selling illegal artwork on eBay. Like you just shut down eBay and put uh, the owner in prison for life sentences. Multiple life sentences. It's just absolutely insane. So I think that's a great opportunity to share his story. If you haven't uh, listened to Railroaded, you've got to check out this. It's unbelievable how horribly he was treated during this whole process. So... Good opportunity on January 27th. It's always a good opportunity, but January 27th in in particular to not forget what Ross did for Bitcoin and sign the petition and share his story until he is actually free again. Um, hopefully, hopefully that day comes. Um, I'd be very sad to see if it didn't. Okay, next up, um, Silk Road altcoin Genesis Day. Now there's a lot of controversy about what's a Altcoin and what's a shitcoin, <laughs> but Namecoin, particularly at the time, Namecoin was the very first, very first altcoin. Um, so uh, before this, there was there was no Bitcoin was it, and Namecoin was actually a really I was really excited about Namecoin back in the day. I thought it was a really clever idea, and it immediately put it in the realm of possibility it's like okay maybe you can maybe this whole model is applicable to other stuff um, i'd say it really didn't kind of work out but namecoin is still around you know like i'm not i'm not ruling it out but probably it's genesis block hit on april 18th and that was 2011 so just shortly after the silk road went live and uh uh, it didn't. There wasn't a lot of fanfare. There wasn't this like ICO, like altcoin bubble or anything. It was just kind of like, "Ooh, this is an interesting project," and it was clear they were not in it to like like we're going to make our own token so we can make billions of dollars. Like Namecoin had like a, a nothing price for quite a while as people were tr- trying to play around with it, and they were trying to create a decentralized DNS chain so that you would uh, buy. You know, you buy your your URL or whatnot, and someone cannot censor that URL because it's managed on the actual uh, the blockchain of Namecoin. And I'm not 100 percent sure what it was that made that really not work. It was the first real world example of kind of the security risks of a smaller blockchain that used the same proof of work algorithm as Bitcoin. So that was the that was a big problem. Uh, it, I think it was a there were a couple of attacks on the network. And it showed that when you had a network that was, you know, one-fiftieth of the size of Bitcoin, if you bought yourself a big freaking mining Bitcoin mining rig, you might only be half a percent of the hash power on Bitcoin. So you're mining Bitcoin for a couple of days, but then you see an opportunity like, I can just redirect this to Namecoin for, you know, six hours, and I'm 50% of that network, and so I'm going to attack it, uh, try to exchange it for some Bitcoin and uh, you know, completely rehash th- three hours worth of blocks. And I'm going to undo my transaction. I'm going to get free Bitcoin and cheat somebody on the Namecoin chain. Uh, so it kind of showed that dynamic. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't too long. I can't remember exactly, though. I didn't go into the uh, extended details on Namecoin to find out when they implemented merged mining and stuff so that you can actually merge. You can, you can mine Namecoin and Bitcoin at the exact same time uh, to try to get some stability back to the Namecoin chain because it would also, it would also result in these huge swings um, on Namecoin. And then the security of a confirmation was incredibly low just because you could just redirect Bitcoin hash at it. So Namecoin was a really interesting project. I was really excited about it at the time. It kind of just has fizzled. But it's still there, you know. Um, like, I don't know. There's There was always a problem with having to download an entire blockchain just to visit URLs. Um, so definitely there was a user experience issue. But ZeroNet is a project that actually uses Namecoin for the URLs and then uses a decentralized system. I don't really know the ins and outs, but you can host a uh, decentralized website um, where... Websites that you go to, you're a cedar. It's basically like a BitTorrent with named coin DNS on it. So, you know, I'm always open. I want that to be a reality one day, like really bad. So I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. And I'm saying that there are altcoins, despite being a Bitcoin maximalist, there are altcoins that have something interesting to them and could still be possible. Um, I am not ruling this out. Just just saying. So I think there is a difference between altcoins and shitcoins, and we'll talk about shitcoin day when we get there. <laughs> All right. So uh, next, that was Namecoin Genesis Block, April 18th. Then we've got June 12th, the same year, uh, 2011. And this was, okay, this June 12th, 2011. So this is really when I was coming into the space because this is when I lost my ass in Bitcoin when I just lost so much money, um, when I had no money, when I was just dead broke, and um, I didn't even have a decent job. <laughs> uh, so June 12th, 2011, I think is a major day because of all of the adrenaline that was going through me at the time. This was the great Bitcoin bubble. Uh, I, think, I think of June 12th as the day of the great Bitcoin bubble. And I really don't think anything compares before or since. Um, people talk about the there was a there was a huge bubble that went up to one dollar, but I don't I don't think it's so hard to find prices for back then because there was there weren't there were not exchanges. You know, like the data is really hard to source. But um, uh, I don't think, as far as I can research, the percentage price decline after the June 2011 bubble was still the largest price decline like percentage-wise in Bitcoin's history over that short period of time. It the the Bitcoin the bubble peaked at $31.91. And within just a handful of days, literally like a week and some change, it had plummeted almost all the way back to $1. It was $1 and a couple of change. And I was just devastated. This was my first experience of uh, the, getting myself through a Bitcoin bubble, and it has beaten me left and right so many times since then, uh, which probably is one of the reasons that you just get so deeply connected to it because there's so many strong emotions to everything that has happened in the history of Bitcoin. So June 12th, is a great Bitcoin bubble. I don't even know how to celebrate it other than the fact that it needs to be mentioned. <laughs> um, so uh, then we go uh, all the way from June 2011 to September 27th of 2012. This is actually the only event I have in 2012, and I feel like there's, there was stuff happening there. So I might be missing something big. But this was the launch of the Bitcoin Foundation. Now, the Bitcoin Foundation was a giant nothing burger, and that's not what I'm celebrating here. This is not why I think this is an important day. Um the Bitcoin Foundation was basically an attempt. And I don't think it was a malicious attempt. I think it was just a very very misguided attempt. They were trying to launch the Bitcoin Foundation to bring governance and decision making around Bitcoin into a central organization and uh, specific process, because they wanted it was it was the first like governance is important in Bitcoin, and they tried to centralize it. Luckily, cyberpunks don't don't really respond well to that kind of thing. And uh, it was basically it was basically shamed out of uh, uh oh, what's the word significance, I guess it was just shamed into nothing into the nothing burger that it was uh and i was really like this is not a good idea like i just felt awkward about it back then but it was a big deal a lot of people were actually there were people actually excited about it but it was a big controversy it was it was kind of that big contention with one part saying yay this is going to help us get things done and make decisions and then this other side is like this is not how bitcoin works this is not a centralized ecosystem I am not going to listen to anything the Bitcoin Foundation says, middle finger. So I say, you don't celebrate Bitcoin Foundation on this day. You use it as a reminder. Nobody controls Bitcoin. And it does not matter how many self-proclaimed leaders and people within the Bitcoin community get together and say, this is what we're going to do. And we'll learn later on in this holiday list of exactly how that comes about. No one. A self-proclaimed Bitcoin foundation is nothing. Bitcoin is a new thing, and nobody controls it. So rest assured, you do not have to worry yourself with the decisions of a Bitcoin foundation. If you're running your node, that is. So that's September 27th, uh, Bitcoin Foundation Day. All right, let's take a break real quick, and we will come right back to this. Uh, Let's hit our sponsor. I got to get a drink. I got to stretch. I've been cooped up in my Bitcoin cave here. So uh, we will be back in just a minute, and let's hit the guys that make this show possible. All right, next up, we have got a rollback day. Uh, to The Bitcoin rollback day, this goes all the way to uh, 2013. This was March 12th, is Bitcoin rollback to that day. And I remember this specifically because this was just such a crazy event. I learned so much on this day about how Bitcoin worked. And this was a this was an unintentional, unintentional hard fork on the network, and this was the first one that, that I saw live. I was on like Reddit and looking through like a bunch of Bitcoin stuff when this started happening, and I I followed it into the night. I was just like, "What is going on?" Like I'm just I, I'm. It was such a such a crazy thing to discover. But what happened was there was a discrepancy between version 0.7 and .8 of the reference, reference client. And it caused an unintentional hard fork, and it took a while. Peter Wella was involved in this, like Greg Maxwell. Like everybody was like, uh, people were watching. I can't remember which developer it was, but somebody was working on something and then noticed that their node was one block off from the Explorer that they were like, using. And, and they were like, anybody seeing this? Uh, I'm not sure why my node is not finding the, finding the same block as this guy. And then somebody else confirmed that they were two blocks off. And then the other guy came back and was like, yeah, I'm two blocks off now. And after like, I think it was like eight, seven or eight blocks that uh, it's somebody, I think it was Peter Weller, I, m- I might be wrong about that, um, and my memory's a little foggy, but uh, somebody came in and was just like, I think we have a hard fork. I think something, I think something broke the network and everybody just started scrambling it got posted on social media um the mailing list went nuts people were messaging back and forth everybody's trying to contact miners and see what's going on and figure out where this went wrong and there was a debate about how to how to bring everybody back in consensus like because it was between two different versions like does do we just force everybody to upgrade to 0.8 and you know send out the message or do we have everybody on point 8 roll back to point 7 and Basically rehash all of these blocks, and that in, in after a very short order, like it was like it was a very crazy uh, like thirty or forty minutes there, and basically consensus was reached. Okay, we're going back to point seven. It makes more sense anyway. You know, the people who had recently upgraded to point eight were the ones that were most likely to be able to upgrade quickly or downgrade quickly, um, because they were already the ones that were you know on top of the new update. So. They were contacted, the pools were contacted, miners, services. Everybody was contacted, and software was just shifted all around, and it was so exciting. It was like watching a football game, like, this is my football watching Bitcoin shit happen. So <laughs> uh, And I remember it was like a, it was like six hours, maybe seven hours. I can't remember exactly the whole process, but basically the entire network rolled back and uh, gave up the reward from 24. Blocks that had been mined, and they had been—they were completely remined with 0.7 instead of the 0.8 client, and successfully after almost half a day of scrambling, the 24 full blocks were rolled back on the chain, and that those 24 blocks were completely orphaned, and the network was brought back into consensus. And I just remember the adrenaline rush and just being so what is that? Like it was, it was the first time it happened, you know, is like, and I'm learning this stuff for the first time back then. So it was just utterly fascinating. And, uh, it was the first time, or at least in my experience, I know there was the, um, controversy with the, like in 2009 or 10 or something, which I, I do not have in my holidays, but, uh, something notable was the, somebody used the overflow, uh, uh, buffer overflow or whatnot to create ninety two billion Bitcoin in a transaction, um, but uh, outside of that, this was really the first network consensus break uh, that that was soft that was put the network back in consensus and we rolled back a, a version of the software. And I just thought that was really cool. That was a really cool moment in history, particularly for me. Now, a way to celebrate this, like when this comes around on March twelfth, um, is for for 1 minute for every block that was rolled back take 24 minutes out of the day to review some bitcoin code if you can do that if you're a you know if you're a, a bitcoin developer or just a code de- developer and you can review code review code even if you know it's been reviewed 20 times if you are not there if you're like me and you just kind of know you're getting to, to like some of the technicals but you're not a developer take the day to learn at least one new thing about Bitcoin code. Learn one new thing about how it works because the more eyes and expertise and and brains that we have working on this ecosystem and looking at this this thing that has been created, the stronger and more resilient Bitcoin is. So I think that's a really good way to celebrate um, Rollback Day, the 24-block Rollback Day on March 12th, is learn something about Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, Then March 28th, just a little bit later in 2013, uh, the total Bitcoin market cap passed a billion dollars. And, you know, when you're, that was just, that was just like, nobody's going to be able to stop taking this. Nobody's going to be able to treat this thing like a joke anymore. You know, like, like we are going to be in people's minds. And again, this was a time when Bitcoin was nothing. Um, like, if somebody, if somebody said Bitcoin on, like, a mainstream news thing, people freaked out. Like, Reddit would just explode. All the social media and stuff, is like, Bitcoin is on the freaking news. Like, it was such a big deal back then. And when it hit a billion-dollar market cap, it was just showing something like, this thing's not going away. Um, and so that was, that was a big day. I remember celebrating that uh, when that happened. Then, just a little bit later that same year, May second, was the first Bitcoin ATM in San Diego, California. Now, Bitcoin ATMs are kind of—I don't know—they seem a little like I don't know, redundant or something. Like Bitcoin ATMs are not a great user experience, but they were a really big deal in the sense that during this time, you know, like I said, Bitcoin was nothing; it was intensely fringe. Uh, it was just thought of as a nerdy toy. And we just crossed a billion dollar market cap. And to have a Bitcoin ATM in the real world, to have a real world place where you could go interact and have, like, and get Bitcoin um, as like a physical place, which just, that really wasn't there. You know, like it was, you had to be in the virtual world. You had to be on the internet to get Bitcoin. And uh, the Bitcoin ATM was just kind of the first time it's like, wow, this is, this is going to become part of the legacy finance, like leg- the legacy financial infrastructure. And so I thought that was a really big day, even though Bitcoin ATMs are not really like some huge market or anything, at least I don't think. Um, I still thought that that was, I thought that was a major development, and it was a big, it was a big thing at the time. So uh, the ATM day was March 2nd. Now we got July 31st. Shitcoin Day. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite holidays. Um, <clears throat> this marks the beginning of the first ever ICO, basically. It was the first utility token. Uh, and this was called, um, and maybe Namecoin you could consider a utility token, but I still kind of consider it altcoin. I think there's a difference there that's meaningful. But this was Mastercoin. Um, and it was later rebranded as Omni, so it's still quote-unquote, around. But uh, MasterCoin basically proved the concept that utility tokens have no utility. And unfortunately, like when you really dig down to it, they're all just a bunch of shit coins. Or at least as far as what's happened so far. And I think that's specifically because of the success of the MasterCoin project that proves this. There's a really good um, Twitter... uh, like a uh, tweet thread by Eric Wall and then another one by, I think Nick Carter and they kind of break down the history and like main points of what's going on with the MasterCoin project. So if you want to read that, I've, I've, tweet, uh, I've got the link for Eric Wall's. I should probably go ahead and add the one for Nick Carter. But MasterCoin was basically the first real project that created a new asset, like wrapped a new asset in the return field of a Bitcoin transaction. So it was a protocol on top of Bitcoin that allowed you to trade non-Bitcoin assets and Tethers, USDT, um, that is huge stablecoin, like it's the dominant stablecoin that's made Bitfinex a ton of money. Um, is the that was the first that was the first uh, you know asset or whatnot? Oh, I mean, I, I guess I don't know if it's the very first asset that was created on it, but it's a wildly successful one. They transfer hundreds of millions of dollars in Tethers. Um, so seemingly you're like, okay, well, MasterCoin or Omni was a huge success if it's like a giant amount of the liquidity in the Bitcoin space or in the exchange um, settlements is with tethers. So like obviously this was a success, right? But the token is worth nothing. Like the, I think the network value, if I, if I remember correctly, I guess I haven't looked at it in a bit, but it was like a, a million dollars or something crazy like that. It's stupidly low though. The, and it's because capturing the value in a token that has nothing to do with the engineering of the protocol, it was basically just abandoned by the developers because it was just a nuisance in the whole process. Like, why do you need a token? It's a pointless element of the design. Um, so despite what is seemingly an overwhelming success, anything that you I mean, there are, there aren't any other projects that have that amount of volume, really, when you think about it like MasterCoin kind of teaches us the economic reality of the token craze is that utility tokens are basically worthless. Um, And they did have like a decentralized exchange that I don't think ever did anything meaningful because it was really clunky, really crappy. It never had good volume. Um, But I think it actually did did go live. I think it was a thing for like a little while. I'm not sure. You you can dig into MasterCoin, but... I think this this is a perfect example of shitcoin day, that you don't need utility tokens to have, you know, a new protocol layer for Bitcoin. Um, All right, move on. Uh, October 2nd, 2013, the Silk Road is dead. Long live the Silk Road. Um, On October 1st, October 1st is Free Ross Day. Uh, October 2nd, this is kind of a two-day thing uh, to celebrate. Um, uh, and October second was the actual fi- official day that the Silk Road was shut down, was seized. But on October first, Rock Ross Ulbricht was captured and caged for his role in bringing about the Silk Road experiment. Um, and I think this is just another good opportunity to share Ross's story. We've already talked about how much of an impact he had, um, in the Bitcoin space, and that you know, for a libertarian experiment and entirely nonviolent crimes, nobody should spend their life in a cage. Um, for that. I think that's a huge, like a massive injustice. And I think and I I, I like the opportunity to salute Ross for this epic place in Bitcoin's story and the story of individual liberty. Like it was about sovereignty, you know? Um so uh, until until Ross is free, we should take October first, and uh, we should take any day that we can think about it. But we should take October first to share to share what happened to Ross. To you know, tweet out free Ross. Hopefully, hopefully that guy, hopefully that guy is free one day, and he does not rot in prison or trying to change the world. You know, trying to make it a peaceful place. All right. Next up Holle day. December 18th, 2013. Let's scroll down to December. So do you know where the term holdle HODL? Everybody knows that term. So in 2013, December 18th, uh, the price basically plummeted in one of its many little, like run-ups and then retraces um, that it has, that it did for a huge period during that time because this was, you know, getting into another big bubble. And a really drunk user posted on the Bitcoin Talk forums and uh decided against his better judgment to just go to town on his keyboard. And it is one of the most hilarious things. I'm not going to read it because I don't want to I don't want this to be a 6-hour episode. <laughs> But it spread like wildfire. People were just laughing. It starts out like, my girlfriend's out at a lesbian bar. Bitcoin's crashing. Why am I hodling? I'll tell you why. So uh, I've got the link on the page. So if you want to go check out the Bitcoin holidays and read that post to just go through that whole thread, it is hilarious. Easy day to celebrate. Just get drunk and hodl. Don't spend any Bitcoin on this day. December 18th is hodl day. And next, we move all the way to 2014. 2013. Wait. Wait, no, this was 2014. I don't know. I've got a date wrong. I'm going to have to confirm this. But this is February 24th. I think this was – this had to be 2014. I think this was right because it was towards the end of 2013 where that the big $1,000 bubble was. Um, but. So February twenty fourth, this is the death of Mount Gox, and I also kind of think of this as Roger Shame Day. So Roger Vera at the time was a trusted community leader. I, uh, I mean, I had a lot of respect for Roger Vera. This was this was the first, this was the first straw, and of a long series of straws that finally just made me go, Roger, holy crap. Like, he went from being one of the most exciting people in the Bitcoin space to one of the, in my opinion, one of the most utterly stubborn and dishonest ones. Uh, but on this day, on February 24th, in uh, 2013 or 14, I, I, I'm going to have to look that up. Um, I've got 2014 on one list. I'm going to make sure I confirm this right. Uh, Mount Gox went down. They went officially offline. Due to insolvency, and it was one of the most spectacular, probably the most spectacular failure in all of Bitcoin's history. They were by by far. They were really the only exchange. They were the only meaningful exchange. It was like eighty or ninety percent of the trade volume. Granted, there's you know a lot of discussion that. uh, willy the willy bot or whatever that there was a ton of fake volume which is undoubted you know i'm sure all the major exchanges for a lot of a lot of the periods then and ongoing use fake volume but Mt. gox was the place to trade bitcoin that was the only place to trade bitcoin and it was a crappy website the process was awful but you know like what do you do like it was Mt. gox they were the place so um but and quote-unquote undetected leak uh, resulted in the theft of 744,408 Bitcoin. And it was over a billion dollars at the time. Um, I, I can't remember all the specifics of how much money it was because the price was soaring and then crashing. You know, like we went from uh, $1,100 on Mt. Gox. Um, I think a lot of the, other, the couple other exchanges that are around, like maybe Bitstamp or whatever had... Um, uh, uh, like they saw like a thousand dollars, I think, is where they peaked. Mt. Gox was really overinflated, kind of like Bitfinex now is, like a hundred dollar price difference or so. Um, is a little bit more exaggerated with Mt. Gox, but this was the largest theft of Bitcoin ever, and uh, honestly, I don't think it will ever be surpassed. Um, in the amount of Bitcoin, specifically because it's grown, the industry has expanded so much. There's, you know. Th- Eighty percent of the traded Bitcoin is not in one place anymore, um, and so many people, myself included, my brother, everybody who was there at the time, probably lost money in Mt. Gox. It was awful. And Roger, this was that he like while all this mess was going on, I've got a link to the video, and this was the first time I was like, "What are you doing? This is bad!" Like Mount, this is you could see the writing on the wall. This is going to be a disaster, and. Uh, people were having withdrawal problems and then they froze withdrawals and uh, Roger publicly defended them and did this stupidly wooden, I'm obviously reading it off a piece of paper, duh, I confirm Mount Gox is, or Mt. Gox is solvent and you have nothing to worry about, keep your coins with Mt. Gox uh, and, you know, just weeks before everybody lost everything. Um, and this that crap is still being sorted out. It's been how many years now? It's 2019, so it's been like six freaking years. And the legal crap around that uh, and stupid carpellus is not going to prison is unbelievable, the mess that happened with that. It was so negligent, and it destroyed the Bitcoin market. Um, this was one of the most spectacular, collab- like, This was the end of Bitcoin for so many people. People were just like, this thing is dead. There was more uh, uh, mainstream media attention about Mt. Gox and the the collapse and this huge failure than there ever had been about anything in Bitcoin. Bitcoin was just a, it was dead for 98% of the people who knew about Bitcoin. Everybody's like, that's it, gigs up. Um, I remember my brother bought, a mining rig at the time which was just a bunch of GPUs from somebody because and the uh, guy came over and he was like yeah I just got rid of everything this 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 ge- this games over uh um uh, I hope you I don't know why you're buying this miner but you know whatever so it was a it was a hell of a time and that was that was a serious bear market when the one exchange that really held the entire market up disappears like you really it's hard to not say in the back of your mind. It's like, okay, this is dead, you know? Like, this might never come back. Uh, But sure enough, I stuck around kept reading. Um, And uh, here I am. Uh, So that was Roger Shame Day, the death of Mt. Gox, February 24th. What an epically painful and just crazy time in Bitcoin that was. Now we go to August 28th. Another sad one, but absolutely 100% deserves uh, everything that we can do for Hal Finney is August 28th is Hal's day. Hal died, uh, Hal, Hal Finney died on August 28th, 2014. Uh, he had, um, uh, what was it, ALS, ALS, um, and he'd been fighting it for like, I think it was like four years, uh, four years earlier he was diagnosed. And he was he wrote his like kind of goodbye almost on the Bitcoin Talk forums. Uh and he, he was he had to use like that that the thing where you like use your eyes to like type like text out. And uh, and he actually coded like that still. He said it was really crazy slow, but he could still do it. Um, how Finney how Finney was, how Finney was Satoshi. I mean, he may not have been Satoshi Satoshi, but he was, he was like the meaningful. He got the first transaction. He was the first one to spin up a node. He was so critical. He was, he'd been a true cypherpunk for years. He's the creator of the first reusable proof of work. Without it, Bitcoin couldn't exist. Like, I mean, he was so integral into making Bitcoin exist, and uh. The I I just it gets me every time with that quote, like I'm comfortable with my legacy, like in his post. Like I remember when I read I read his post, um it somebody did and I cried, man. That was serious. And Hal Finney was such a such a figure for Bitcoin and uh that was a tough one. That was a tough one. I, I really do. You know, rest in peace, Hal Finney. Um you will be missed. So on August 28th, that's Hal's day. And he deserves a moment of silence and a drink in his name. So I always try to remember that every year. And it's also a good opportunity to make sure that your keys... um, There's a couple of these holidays that I use as like, all right, it's time to go through all my backups, check on my passwords. But this one's a good one to remember to have my keys accessible because he talks about that in his final post, that my family and my kids, like I know they can get to my, my keys. Um, so make sure that your coins can be accessed by your family and loved ones, because you don't know when you don't know when this whole thing, when this story ends. Um, and August twenty eighth is a good day, Take Hal's day, to remember to leave, to leave your loved ones um, with a way to access your keys uh, when you go. So. All right, back to something a little bit more fun. November 11th of that same year is This is Gentleman Day. <laughs> uh, it, this one's not so prominent anymore, but this was a huge thing on Reddit and it was basically the uh, it was the I guess you could say the 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 next in line after Hodl and I still love This is Gentleman. It's kind of it's use has died out a little bit. But it was hilarious, an overexcited Reddit user accidentally a word, just left out, it's supposed to be, this is it, gentlemen, and he was just way too excited about the fact that we were right back into a bull market now, and it wasn't, it was just like a little a little blip on the radar, basically, at the time, but he was just, he just posted this excited thing, this is gentlemen, and... uh it, it just immediately earned himself a place in the bizarre, hilarious history of Bitcoin culture. And for, for months and months and months, any kind, any kind of good news, like somebody reported about Bitcoin on the thing or a new Bitcoin ATM or some company accepting Bitcoin, it was, this is gentlemen. It was, everything was good news and everything was gentlemen. So that was hilarious. I loved that meme. Uh, Back in the day. And I I still love it when I get to see it. So November 11th is This is Gentleman Day. Then January 14th all the way to 2016. So we had a really long bear market there before things started to kick back up. And then now this is where a lot of people came in is the whole 2017 bubble. This is when we're starting to build back into this. In January 14th of 2016, Uh, This was such an epic time. This was the block size wars, and on January fourteenth, the release of the Lightning Network white paper, and this was the first secure second layer on Bitcoin. And uh, there were there had been so much development. uh, Satoshi himself had so many different had been trying to work out payment channels and how to get them to to to. Like, basically, there were a couple of problems with, like, channel lifespan, because originally they had to have, like, a sequence number, and you had to basically know ahead of time how many times you were going to update the uh, channel. Like, some of the, some of the original um, proposals or, like, uh, designs, I guess you could say, for um, payment channels, like, you actually had to have, like, okay, this one's going to be for a 1,000 updates and then the time lock for every single update was one shorter so that the, the final, the, the correct state, the last in line, could always be enforced before any of the previous ones. Um, but the Lightning Network, or the Lightning White Paper, was the by, it was released, it's written by Joseph Poon and Thaddeus Dreyja, uh, Taj, uh, and... It, is, it was kind of the culmination of a lot of different work. First, they had to sort out uh, perpetual payment channels. Um, then they had to sort out bidirectional. A lot of them were unidirectional. You could only send forward or backward. You couldn't just swap back and forth. Um, and finally, the design was, um, the engineering was figured out to make them perpetual and bidirectional. And then Lightning Network made them routable. You could bridge across payment channels trustlessly, without ever actually giving up control, it was still always locked with the public key of the receiver, so nobody in the middle could actually take the coins. And this was, this was the birth of the Bitcoin Lightning Stack to me. The conceptual birth. Again, this was like Bitcoin White Paper Day, the conceptual birth of Bitcoin. Lightning White Paper was the conceptual birth of the Bitcoin Lightning Stack. So uh, I've got the link to the White Paper there, and I don't care how you celebrate Lightning White Paper Day, but January 14th needs to be celebrated. Lightning White Paper Day. And November, November 15th of 2016 is my absolute favorite uh, ICO. Um, BitConnect! That is, if, if anybody was there for BitConnect, if anybody was watching that thing, that was the most entertaining bullshit scam that there ever was. There is so much. I love this stupid video. There's a video somebody did a remix of the BitConnect speech. That uh, oh my god, what is that guy's name? Uh, you just got to go watch it. Just go to the link. Um, this was just go to the link on the calendar page. Um, it is one of the most hilarious things. I watch it ever, all the time. Every couple of months, I'm just like, I gotta go. I gotta. Get, I need to pick me up. I'm gonna go watch my BitConnect video. But the, so the heat was rising in 2016 and 17 and it was just ICO after ICO and it only accelerated. Anybody who was in 2017 knows how absolutely utterly insane it got. And BitConnect was the most obvious scam imaginable. And uh, it's almost, it is the creme de la creme as I put in the description here is who could have thought that such a stupid thing Would have been so successful. I mean, it was a Ponzi scheme. And what was hilarious is people were like, no, don't be stupid. Um, You know, this is obviously a scam. But it was like 90% of the people investing in it knew it was a scam. They knew it was a Ponzi scheme. Nobody was confused about this. But people were investing in it anyway because they thought it was going to pick up steam. And if they were early, they could get out of the scam. Before it collapsed. So people were knowingly putting tons of money in this stupid scam. Thinking that they were just going to. They were going to withdraw their bags. Before everybody else jumped in. Granted there are a lot of people that were tricked by this idiocy. But it was the. It was the veritable cherry on top. Of the sea of garbage tokens that were happening. And November 15th was the first day of the ICO. 2016. Um, so. I love to have this day. Literally my family, my my wife and my sister-in-law love this stupid video that I watch Um, for the Big Connect song remix or whatever. So uh, what we did last year was we just got completely wrecked and we had a dance party uh, playing this song and then just screwed around for the rest of the night. But uh, that's what I encourage everybody to do on November 15th is have a dance party playing this song and just get wrecked. All right, so that's BitConnect Day. Uh, March 2nd, 2017, uh, Gold Parity Day. Bitcoin passed the price of one ounce of gold, and I thought that was really cool. That was just fun to celebrate because it brings a new meaning to digital gold. Is yeah, well, you know, when Bitcoin costs more than one ounce of gold, so what are you going to do, son? You can't ignore me. That was a fun day. Um, but there's also going to be Bitcoin or gold market cap day. Um that is not here yet, but that will be the day um, so do not confuse those. That will be the day that the Bitcoin market cap surpasses the market cap of all the gold of the world's gold supply. Um, that was may se- or no March second may twenty third uh, 2017, New York Disagreement day. Um, so for anybody who hasn't studied the block size wars, uh, I've got a I think I've got a link in this one. Man, I'm not sure which one the link is in. I should put it in this one anyway since this is the quote-unquote first one that comes around. But the New York agreement was a terrible idea. But uh, it was the initiation of the SegWit2x proposal, and this was in the peak of the Fork Wars. This was really, this was really when the block-size wars turned from a contentious debate to a network debate, um, to a network battle. And on May 23rd, 2017, a group of powerful miners, uh, businesses, and a bunch of figures in the Bitcoin industry. I mean, this was Coinbase. This was Shapeshift. This was uh, Bitmain. So all the major mining pools, uh, the, digital cur- the entire digital currency group was heading, the- heading this off. And they basically just got together in this, like, we're going to do our little meeting. And they called it the New York Agreement. They thought, because they had like 80% of Bitcoin users, like BitBlockchain.info, like with wallets, and Coinbase with all their wallets and customers. They had like you know, 6 million customers or something at the time. I, I don't remember exactly. But um, they thought that they were, that, that everybody who got in that room, that was Bitcoin. And if they made a decision to do something, that's what was going to happen. But, and they said that they, they literally made a statement that they represented their customers. And I had a wallet on blockchain.info. I had a Coinbase account. They did not represent me. I was really, it rubbed me the wrong way when they did this because they were like, wait, what? Like, we've been debating about this forever. And they're just like, yeah, Segwit2x is going to happen and uh, everybody can eat it. Like, we own 88% of the hash power. We have like 80% of the users represented in our businesses and uh, everybody can suck it because we're going to hard fork the network. We're not going to implement replay protection, and the developers we're going to fire all the developers. They literally said that they're going to fire all the developers because basically the entire development community was still trying to figure out what they thought was the proper engineering decision, and a huge swath of the user base was just like, I don't. This is not. This is not an intelligent way to go. Particularly if the development community is not on board. You get like five hundred contributors to this thing. And they're all pretty much like, yeah, we shouldn't do this. So you're like, what? like you're just going to leave? I just, oh, God, it was, it, was a, it was contentious. It was crazy contentious. And they just thought that they had the say. And they would constantly, everybody's bickering and just going like, well, you don't have the hash power, so suck it. What are you going to do when 80% of the hash power leaves? They talked about how Bitcoin was going to go into a hash power death, death spiral. And, uh and it would never recover and all this crap. So, this was really when the protocol wars started. And I don't mean the TCPIP protocol wars. I mean the Bitcoin Bitcoin fork wars. And uh they they instituted the SegWit 2x pro- proposal. They're going to have let's rush this hard fork. We're going to do this in 6 months and uh you know, like you're and we're going to kill the Bitcoin chain. There's going to they they explicitly stated multiple times There will be one coin after this. We will make sure of it. They were going to attack the other chain. Uh, They openly talked about it. They talked about how. Uh, They said, you know, if Bitcoin wants to survive as an altcoin, if the original chain wants to survive, well, then you're going to have to implement replay protection because we're not going to do it, which was a joke, which just showed, I guess, either how arrogant or ignorant they were, that they're hard-forking, so... Obviously, they are the ones that need to implement replay protection because replay protection needs a hard fork to completely defeat the purpose of not forking Bitcoin. But whatever, um, it's a uh, it was it was serious. I was these guys were just such arrogant jackasses at the time, um, and it's why so many people vehemently just do not respect Coinbase. Uh, 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 ShapeShift, like all these companies, Bitmain, like this is where the hate for those companies. So when you see Bitcoin OGs just dismiss everything that they say and just shit on, poo poo on all of their Twitter, uh, their tweets and retweets and like their posturing for, we're still a Bitcoin company. This is why. Because they arrogantly said, we're going to change Bitcoin. You can suck it. And explicitly stated they're going to fire all the developers for not making the decision that they, that they, uh, that they decided, and that, they, that all the users were just going to just follow along. Well, this started the user-activated soft fork, and we will get there first. and we will get there in a second. Uh, I made a little, I got a little joke at the end of this one though for New York Disagreement Day again, May twenty-third. Uh, celebrate by committing to something at the beginning of the day and then back out at the last minute. <laughs> I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a smart way to celebrate, but uh, this was, this is an important day in Bitcoin history and should do something to kind of, uh, you know, give them a middle finger. August 1st, this is, so it was from May to August. And August 1st is Bitcoin Independence Day. And this really was the, I think this was the beginning of the end of the block size wars. So all this happened with SegWit2x and a huge community movement started growing Um, And it was funny because a lot of the developers were not happy with this because they were like, this is going to force a hard fork. Um, But slowly, it just kept growing and was getting out of hand really quick. But the user-activated soft fork was a community movement executing a flag day to activate SegWit without the... Because SegWit was a soft fork, right? Um, It was actually backwards compatible. You didn't have to upgrade to it. But... um, but obviously removing the 2X, the, the hard fork to a bigger block size. And August 1st was the flag day. August 1st was the day that Segwit hit and the UASF uh, executed. And basically, it was basically the community, the user community, playing chicken. Uh, they were calling the bluff of the digital currency group and the huge Segwit 2X all their miners and businesses and everybody who just said they are Bitcoin and this is what's going to happen. is like, all right, well, then we call your bluff. Like, put your money where your mouth is. We are not going to let you do this. And we are going to run a client that specifically disallows you to do this. We're going to implement Segwit without your stupid hard fork. And you can either come with us or not. And if you take eighty percent of the hash power with you, we don't really care. We'll just wait for blocks while they're slow, and then the diff, then, then the difficulty adjustment. So, and it was a uh, I think there's there's a great Bitcoin uh, magazine article I think we've read it on the show. I'm pretty sure we've read it on the show. Just talking about the 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 vehement, unwavering minority, the the intolerant minority, and that's what happened. I ran this client. This was this was my first real full node. Like I'd spun up a node a couple of times, but I didn't it wasn't until this whole movement that I was really it really hit me the importance of full nodes. Um and I ran I ran the UASF and I proudly was there staking my claim and it was to be a part of that. I felt like a rebel. <laughs> so uh and it it activated. It executed on August 1st. And then we have a couple of holidays right back to back. August is just the, hol- the, the month of Bitcoin independence. August 1st is official independence day. Well, then we've got August, August 8th, which was the day that Segwit actually locked in. So there was the execution day and then a, uh, a little like a week long um, uh, wait for the flag day until Segwit was locked in. Like as long as the, uh, 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 the signaling was uh, correct or whatnot. And then it activated. Uh, I think it was like, I can't remember how many blocks it was later, but it was on August 23rd. So August 1st, Independence Day. August 8th, Lock-In Day. And August 23rd, Activation Day. And I celebrate all three of those because that was just a huge, that was a monumental moment in Bitcoin history. But the reason I think of Independence Day, August 1st, as the end of the block size wars, is the beginning of the end, Is because it's when Bitmain and Roger Fair and all those "Ah, jackasses—I'll be nice—all those people with a differing opinion uh, when they forked Bitcoin Cash. So that was the birth of B Cash. And honestly, at the time, like, and I I, don't—I really don't—as much as you know, this gets me worked up. I don't hold any ill will against B Cash. Um, At the time, I actually made a uh, post. I have no idea if I can find it. Um, a post on Reddit, kind of wishing them luck. Like I was actually really happy that we forked and they kind of got their big block experiment because I felt like it only made sense to test both both ways. You know, it, it didn't make any sense to just say this was the way it is or this was what was going to work and then not try big blocks. Because um, there's always a seed of doubt you know you're always like well you know like maybe it is big blocks like i want both to exist so that we can know what works um so i tried to i tried to bridge the gap because people were so hateful and uh just at each other's throats um but it was a big day it was it was just an epic day um i was kind of proud that bitcoin cash um forked off and that they had their own community it still turned into conspiracy theory propaganda nonsense and Blockstream core, Bilderberg, blah blah. But, you know, whatever, you know, to each their own. Um, I'm still glad. I'm still glad we forked. I'm still glad Bitcoin Cash got its thing and Bitcoin Diamond and S V and all that crap happened. And I still think I still think in the end it was a net positive for all of it. But because of that, the communities really split and I think of that as the end of the block size wars. So August first is a big day. Um and, of course, the other, the other two days of SegWit activation. And then we've got November 7th after all of this, which is, uh, uh, we're getting to the end here. We're getting to the end. So we're almost done. Uh, no 2x day. Um, uh, after, after the digital currency group, um, uh, you know, ignored everybody's... Uh, it basically rejection of their proposal. Support continued to fall, fall away. bunch um, uh, a bunch of, a bunch of the, they still were claiming that they had like dominant ash power, mostly because a handful of miners and companies that had gotten cold feet hadn't officially announced that they had gotten cold feet. they wanted to be they wanted to, you know, s- sit on the fence there to see what happened. And then everything that happened with uh, UASF. And uh, activating Segwit and then the fact that everybody, the whole community was still just like, suck it, go ahead, you know, fork your stupid chain. Um, And there were, what was it, Bitfinex at the time? I guess it was Bitfinex um, posted, they had futures for Segwit2x and the 2x coin was trading at like a tenth or like 15, like a tiny fraction of what the Bitcoin price was. So I think that really, like, having the market just value it at, like, doo-doo, doo-doo dollars um, <laughs> really, really scared the rest of them uh, to run away. And uh, so November 7th was the day that they called it off. Um, and this was, like, a week. This was, like, a week and, like, three days before the fork was supposed to happen. And so they just posted on the mailing list, like, all right, we're suspending it. You know, we might come back to it. We don't want... We don't want to split and have two Bitcoins, blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was no 2X day. That was the day 2X finally uh, threw in the towel. And lo and behold, November 7th, just a week and some change later, uh, some of the miners, and I think it was probably, I'd imagine it was probably people who had big stakes on like the futures market for, no 2X, or for Segwit 2X. We're trying to keep it alive, because you're talking about a lot of people who just immediately lost money who were trading on a token that now is not going to exist. Um, so they tried to actually mine and make, uh, make SegWit2x happen anyway, and they were just going to keep it alive on their own. It never produced a block. There was a bug in segwit This was This was the vindication of the entire user-activated soft fork movement, the vindication of the developers of the the users who knew that this was a bad idea, um, that you do not do rushed hard forks, that this was stupid, and the proposal was not going to work. They had an off-by-one bug, and the Segwit 2x, despite the fact that miners broke off still trying to do this, Segwit 2x completely failed to launch. They never produced a block. And there was no, there were like, they had like two developers or something. They they pushed out the client in literally like a week or two. It was it was so incompetent. Um, it was so negligent that they wouldn't even they wouldn't even hire good developers to do this. And all these major Bitcoin businesses were just like you know we're king and you're gonna do what we say. And then they couldn't even produce a client that would produce blocks. They were literally going to shut down the entire Bitcoin network. Had uh had people gone along with this. So thank you to the user-activated soft fork movement and to the people who ran nodes and told them to stick it where the sun don't shine because otherwise they would have caused another big disaster for the Bitcoin network that hadn't happened since 2011. Or, no, was it 2000? When was the rollback day? Where's rollback day? Come on, where are you at? Not for crying out loud. Whatever. Um, since the rollback day, <laughs> I don't know what I can't find it in my list. Um, all right, next up, uh, we're almost to the end. Uh, we got January eighth, two thousand and eighteen. This was the first purchase ever over the Lightning Network, um, and uh, that, so that's Lightning Network Payday. Uh, let me go all the way back to the beginning. And this is just a good day to celebrate because Layer Two was a real world thing. Um, so on January 8th, buy something on the Lightning Network uh, for Bitcoin. And now I've got a calendar available to you for a buck ninety nine. Uh, I don't know how many Satoshis that is right now. Bitcoin price is on the move, so it changes every couple of minutes. <laughs> but uh, uh, now I've got something available so that you can celebrate that way if you would like. Um, but I'm going to be buying something on the Lightning Network to celebrate this every year on January 8th. Oh, I've got that 2017. That's when I knew there was something else to fix. 2018 is when this happened, because uh, Mainnet had barely been live for like a couple of like a week or something. It had just gone live. And uh, somebody bought a Torguard VPN subscription. Torguard jumped on it immediately and they accepted lightning. It was a really cool time, and that was just an exciting day. And then last but not least, the most recent, February 18th, 2018. And uh, 18, we came full circle, Lightning Pizza Day. Laszlo comes back to buy another pizza with the Lightning Network, just like he did on Bitcoin Pizza Day, uh, making the first purchase in Bitcoin. Now he has made, he's bought the first pizza over the Lightning Network. That was eight years later. um, After exchanging 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas, Laszlo comes back and does it again. And so now you can do that on February 18th with ln.pizza, Lightning Pizza Day. Holy crap, that's it. Those are all the freaking holidays that I have been recording and sitting on for years and slowly keeping track of. Those were major days in the history of Bitcoin for me and my experience. If anybody else shares some of these, you know, days or or let's say you have another one. I would like to know. I'd love to keep this an ongoing project for the crypto economy holiday calendar. I think this is like twenty something, like twenty three, or some crap. I don't remember. But Bitcoin story has just been, just been an epic tale. And there's been so many crazy days and insane events. The block size wars were so exciting. Um, the 2013 bubble was just batshit crazy it just so much stuff has happened and this was kind of a walkthrough of things that were meaningful to me and i like to celebrate these and now it's available on the lightning network the lightning network has gotten to the point i just set up a uh, thing over the weekend i set up an open node subscription i've got my casa Hotel node i've bought it from myself three times just to confirm that it works and it's just it's just so cool to see us get to this point to see the protocol stack being built out, to see all these new services and uh, all this new software. Uh, state channel backups just came out for Lightning, which is a huge improvement. Um, and there's so many things still to come. Like, we are just beginning this whole story, and so much crazy shit has already happened. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this lengthy walkthrough of the history of major events in Bitcoin and my take on them. This has been a Guys Take episode. Do not forget to check out CryptoEconomy.life. Go check out the Bitcoin holidays so you can see the holiday calendar. And if you've got a lightning node and you want to try out and play around with lightning, buy it. Uh, buy the holiday calendar. You'll get the notifications. You can just import it into your own calendar and it will, it will let you know anytime a Bitcoin holiday is coming up. And uh, if you leave your email address with me, um, I'll try to make sure to let you know whenever I update with uh, uh, new, uh, new holidays and I'll see if I can just like send it out so that you can just like click on it. Not, I haven't really messed with my calendar much, I just kind of built this out uh, recently so I'll figure out how to get that process in order so that if you buy this you don't have to you know constantly come back and re-download I'll try to make it easy so that you can get any ongoing holidays that we have in the crypto economy. So. This has been the Crypto Economy Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, And I will catch you all tomorrow with another episode. Do not forget to check out CryptoEconomy.life. Play with lightning. Get my calendar. And I'll catch you next time. Take it easy, guys.